morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Mark. I hope you are all doing well. So did everybody have a good uh, men's failure day last Thursday? Modern Valentine's Day, uh, in many ways, has, has evolved into a, a metaphor of Christianity and, and the church. You see, uh, Valentine's Day, is, as far as you know, a man understands, it consists, consists of what? Chocolates, right? Flowers and a card, right? Uh, the last card usually at BP, yeah, the, the, you know, on, on your way home. But the reality is um, people don't want chocolates. They don't want flowers. And they don't, definitely don't want the last card at BP. You see, the, what they do want is to be enveloped by an expression of love. I mean, that's really what Valentine's Day is meant to be. But the problem is, and why so many men fail on Valentine's Day, and why so many of us fail at Christianity and so many churches fail, is, is we, we presume it's about something that it's not. We, we think it's about chocolates. We think it's about, about the, the flowers. We think it's about the cards. We think it's about checking things off the list. We think it's about coming to church on, on Sunday. We think, it, think it's about tithing. We think it's a, about these kinds of things. But the reality is, the problem is that, the, that gifts given on Valentine's Day are, are usually motivated by expectation and not expression. And to just make things worse, those expectations have been set by somebody outside of your relationship, with your, your relationship with your soulmate. And the final problem with, with this is it's nearly impossible for, for love to be seen through a lens of perceived obligation. If I feel that you are obligated to give me something, I will not be able to see your heart and your love through it. And this is why many men fail on on Valentine's Day, because they think the goal is to meet expectations. They think that the goal is to check things off a list. They they think that uh, their goal uh, uh, is all of these things rather through meaningful gifts of service which build stronger relational bonds. And all of these things, as I was kind of like just thinking about this this week, all of these things are the exact same mistake that so many of us make with our relationship with Christ and as we come together as the body of Christ in, in Christianity and, and the church, many of the expectations that we think have been set by people outside of, of your personal relationship with Christ. That, that we've been told that 
that the goal is to meet certain religious expectations rather than to express our love out of out of a transformational relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do you expect, right? So what do you expect in all, in all of these things? When, when a, a reckless love, a reckless love story with a wild Savior has been corralled, pasteurized, packaged, and government-approved. What started off as a burning ring of fire has been contained into the religion of Valentine's Day, right? And yes, I'm speaking on two levels. But really what we're talking about here is, is a love story, a love story from, from God who, who loved us so much that he, that he sent His only Son for us as a, as a revelation of who He is. God is love. And that, that love has, has, has been corralled. It's been pasteurized. It's been packaged. This ring of fire that burns within us. Think about when you first came to know Christ and thinking about the freedom in Christ and the forgiveness has been distilled and pasteurized down into a religion of do's and don'ts. And Jesus spoke about this very thing in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 2. This is so interesting in just, the, you know, thinking about this idea of the religion of, of Valentine's Day. Jesus says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. You have given me chocolates, flowers, and a card. But I have this complaint against you. How can you complain, honey? I gave you chocolates. I gave you flowers. I gave you a card. Happy Valentine's Day. I don't know why you're complaining, Jesus. How can you have a complaint? I've worked hard. I've had patient endurance. I don't tolerate evil people. I've examined some claims of some apostles, and I have found them lacking. I've discovered that they're liars. And how have I suffered for you, Jesus? So how could you possibly have a complaint against me? But Jesus does, right? Jesus says, I have this complaint against you, and check out what the complaint is. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You do all of these things. You do all the right things. But that's just it. You are living under expectation and you are not living in expression of a transformational relationship with me. And you know what? You just don't love me holistically and you don't love others as yourself that you have lost your first love. 
This is Jesus saying this to the church. And check out where he goes from this. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Think about the things when you first started dating somebody. The kind of things that you would do. You would give unexpected gifts. You would write poetry. Even those of you who don't know a verse from, you know, a stanza or or anything like that. I don't know a lot about poetry either. I don't know if I just hit two of the right things. But I've written poetry, or at least what I thought was poetry. And look how far we have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, there's a good word, repent. If you don't repent from this, what's repent mean? Turn. Turn. 180 degree turn. I had somebody who was repenting the other day and he said, I'm going to do a 360 degree turn. I'm like, no, <laughs> please, no. <laughs> Just go halfway, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of this idea. No, that Christ is saying 180, go the opposite direction. Learn that it's not about these things, but it is about me. And this is the really scary part. Some people like scary parts in church. Here's a scary part. I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. For those of you like Survivor, this is Jesus saying the tribe has spoken. That you're no longer part of this tribe. That's how important this is. This is crazy. But isn't it true, relationally speaking, right? I mean, I've shared this before. One of the most frightful words that my wife ever said to me many years ago was, I said, honey, I, I love you, and you think I'm a good husband. And she said, I think you're a good provider. That's from a man who did all the things. I, I could point and say, look, you have a house over your head. You have a car. You have insurance. You have all of these things, and I was providing, but that is not what my wife needed or wanted. My wife wanted me to be reckless like I was when I was courting her, to do dumb things, to miss things, to make a fool of myself, to express this burning desire that I had for her in ways that didn't maybe make sense to anybody else except the two of us. And this is really the point that we pick back up into Colossians with all things but a poem. Now, I used to hate poems until somebody said this to me. A poem is just a song for non-musicians. Right? For those of us who, who can't, you know, sing and, and play guitar and things like that, you know, but we still have something in our heart that, that poetry comes out. 
And, and you know, in a, in, a, in a poem, you know, like a song, that, that, that poems are born in the heart and they're meant to communicate to the heart. And it's really cool in this letter that, that Paul is transcending, at least for a moment, kind of just the analytical kind of like, you know, this means this and this is what you should be doing and all this kind of stuff. And, and he writes a poem about the supremacy of Christ. Now, I was thinking about the word supreme and and you know just you know as as kind of the root word of supremacy and 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 supreme in our culture has really lost a lot of its punch. I mean, you can go to Taco Bell right after this and go and get a Taco Supreme, which is basically a 59 cent taco with some white stuff on it and some, you know, some tomatoes, right? And that's supreme. Jesus, the statement in this poem, in this heart pouring out that, that, that Paul is not saying Jesus is a 59-cent taco with some sour cream and a couple of tomatoes. No. When he says supreme, he is saying that he, that he is over all, that he has no equal. And in a theological sense, there's a transcendence here. That, that Jesus was not just a man, but Jesus is God himself revealed to us. But enough of me. Let's, let's get into this poem, starting in verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Just let that settle for a second. Because so many people, you know, they, they like hippie Jesus, but they don't like Jericho God. Or, or they, they like, you know, uh, the, the abstract concept of God, of what they can make of Him, but they don't like Jesus. One and the same. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made this thing we can see and these thing and the things we can't see such as thrones kingdoms rulers and authorities in the unseen world everything he created through him and for him he existed before anything else and holds all creation together christ is also the head of the church which is his body he is the beginning Supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Think about that. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, I don't know 
maybe the first thing that strikes you about this poem is it doesn't rhyme. Which is true, it doesn't. Not one, roses are red, violets are blue, or anything like that. But what we do have is this kind of just really just crystal clear kind of picture painted for us from one heart to our hearts, talking about who Jesus is and His rightful place in our lives. N.T. Wright wrote about, about this poem. He said, Paul wrote this poem to show the Colossians the center of Christianity. Listen to this next part. It isn't simply about a particular way of being religious. It isn't about a particular system for how you are to be saved here or hereafter. It isn't simply a different way of holiness. Christianity is about Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of hubbub about, you know, don't take the Christ out of Christmas. Well, let's not take the Jesus out of Christianity. That Jesus is not a prophet or a good teacher. He wasn't a guy wearing a white toga with a blue sash and had, that matched his blue eyes and his blonde hair. No. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And really, this is we boil everything away that this is so central to our faith. And in some ways, you may be sitting going like, yeah, duh. As my growth group likes to tell me all the time that I'm stating the obvious. But I think sometimes some things that are obvious are so profound that, that it, it kind of scrambles our brain a little bit. That, that, that we don't give it the proper mind time, and we don't let it marinate in our soul and allow it to truly change us and transform us. And by that, which like the Colossian church, like, like the, the uh, churches in uh, Revelation, that, that, you know what, we lose our burning desire, our awe, as we approach Jesus. You know, I think a lot of times, especially in the 20th and 21st century church, that, that we like to make Jesus friendly. And Jesus is friendly. I mean, Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and, and, and Jesus, I'm sure, was a wonderful person to, to be with. And, and, and through this kind of thinking about, about Jesus that, you know, different things have come about. And, you know, you see shirts, and I hope nobody has this shirt on today, but, but you're going to be embarrassed if you do. But kind of this, this idea of like, like, Jesus is my homeboy. Have you seen that t-shirt? Like, Jesus is my homeboy? No? Yeah. How can I put this? Okay. Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Would you walk up to God and say, God, you're my homeboy? 
Hopefully you don't do that to Jericho, God. You have a bad day. Jesus existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. I think it's high time that we still hold the beauty of that Jesus wants to walk with us. But we need to bring the reverence back. We need to understand that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And when we see Jesus move, when we speak his name, now that should never be of just kind of just flippant or, or an afterthought. But when we speak his name, when we think about Jesus, we are thinking about God himself. And we should have this, this reverence that, that, that sends a chill through our spine. But the cool thing is that Jesus says, even though this is how you should interact with me, that, that because of the cross... That, that we do not have any condemnation, that we can come to the throne without fear of condemnation, that Jesus will lift up our heads. But just because he accepts us, that does not negate that he is God. And that does not negate that we are in the presence of the creator of the universe who loved us so much that he came into our mess and walked our life in order for us to understand who God truly is. And that is that God is love. And this cross is, is this really difficult image for Christians in the church. I know like people like to wear it and everything, but, but, but you know, you get to this idea of, of the cross and the, and the cross as, 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 the, as the payment. And every time we want to be comfortable and have things our own way, we have the cross that reminds us that the only revelation of God that, that we know is because God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ and was nailed to the cross. And that was not a thing of convenience. That was not a thing that just, you know, I'll, you know, I'll go to Walmart. Oh, I'll stop by the cross on the way. No. This idea of the cross as we, as we you know, sit comfortably as we see this image that that it really should be more of a burr in our in our soul than it is it should be this this reminder of god's love to us but we get lost sometimes you ever been to a big mall you're walking around and you have no idea where anything is. And 
You keep on walking around, and, and if you're like me, I can't even find the stupid map to help me. You know, they're huge, right? But they, I don't know, they hide them. Strategic to make you walk around their mall some more. Yeah, I'm a conspiracy theorist. But when you finally find, you know, the holy grail of that, that map, right, and, and you walk up and you see this huge thing, what do you look for? You are here. And this is kind of what Paul is doing with the, the church in Colossae, is giving them kind of a you are here moment as he's drawing this picture of, of the supremacy of Christ. And he continues on in verse 21. And he says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You weren't even on the map. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought, he has bought, brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Now, we spend a lot of time on holiness, and I've been talking about how holiness For a lot of times when we talk about the Holy Church and all these things is set aside for God's purpose. But listen to the context of here. And this is really cool. And I know we've been kind of, you know, digging this thing up again and again and again, but it's so important. As a result, He has brought you into His presence. Now, what's our understanding of a holy God? What is not holy cannot be part of of what is not absolutely pure cannot be part of what is absolutely pure, right? It's just reality. It's just the way things work. Okay. As a result, He has brought you into His own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. Paul is telling the church in Colossae that that. You know what? Once you weren't even on the map, but you know this, this poem I wrote about this, this, this visible image of God who is Jesus? That, that through the cross, you have been made blameless. You have been made holy. You have been invited to be fully human as God originally intended creation, and which is to be in an unfettered relationship with the creator of the universe, with God. Verse 23, and we'll finish with this, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Now, just dial back a little bit in this this idea, but 
but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Do not drift away. If you're like me, you might be thinking, well, how can anybody ever drift away from something so magnificent? Well, here's the, here's the reality. See, I think we get into theological problems when we, we look at our relationship with God and, and we move away the, the, the rules of normal relationships. You see, God is the God of relationships. God created relationships. God wrote the rules of relationships. You know, like, you know, don't call your first date until 24 hours and stuff like that. No, just kidding. He didn't write that. We wrote that part. But, but this idea of how do you build a better relationship, how, you know, how, you know and, and then in relationships, if you lose your first love and you, and you get kind of sidetracked and you start thinking it's about chocolates and flowers and cards, that your heart fire goes out and you begin to drift. And how that is true with people is also true with God. And really just kind of like summing up this, just this section of, of Colossians as we, as we move forward in the next, you know, subsequent weeks, is Paul is, is making this very profound statement that most people reject. And Jesus predicted that. He said that, that not many will 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 find him, that, that the, the gateway to life is very small, that Christianity was never meant to be or designed to be this, this uh, uh, kind of a, a mass appeal or the, the prevailing worldview because of this very simple statement that Paul is trying to say is that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God and that we are made right through our relationship with Christ. And yes, you know what? We attend church and yes, we, we you know, tithe and yes, we serve the poor and yes, we serve one another and, and all of these things. But... We don't do those things because they're expected. We do those things because they are an expression, an expression of the transformation that we have had because of our encounter with the one true living God. We are, we express these things because of of our reckless love with our wild Savior. As we do kind of things that maybe the world looks at and says, you're crazy. But as Paul says in, in Corinthians, or excuse me, um, I think it is Corinthians actually, that, that if you think we're crazy, is for God, but if we, if we act sane, it is only for your benefit. I can tell you, I've seen so many people fall, in, fall into love, and they seem insane. And that's okay. That's a beautiful thing. 
Maybe what this world needs is a little less rational love. Maybe we need a little bit more of this extravagant love that God showed us. You guys pray with me. Dear God, just uh, thank you for our time together this morning. God, I hope that this um, is something that, that causes struggle in our hearts and our minds and our souls this week, that I hopefully uh, it promotes conversation. God, the value of today we know is what lives beyond it. And God, I'm sorry is for the times that we have looked at you as a dressed-up 59-cent taco. That God, you are not a taco supreme, but you are supreme. You are supreme over heaven and earth and of our lives, and you are head of your church. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.